what interested me so much, and it was actually something I took as a life lesson, is how calm you were at a time of what I thought was to be uncertainty. I learned that even under the most difficult circumstances for one of the hardest jobs in the world, you can keep a cool head if you don't panic. You made me relive the moment. Sometimes um, uh, you, you think you know, the doctor is not nervous. The doctor is thinking about 10, 15 things and thinking about five steps ahead. With time, you tend to get more comfortable with being nervous. And you know that uh, you have to keep following the steps. Doctor, a common misunderstanding that you see in your line of work. What comes to mind is that people think that doctors can control outcomes. Can you recall a situation where you were extremely nervous while in the operating room? Dr. Raed say thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, before, I mean, I, I take it any further, I want to thank you for one of the best gifts I've ever gotten in my life in delivering my twins uh, just over two months ago. I There's not much more I can say than just thank you so much for everything you have done and, and in making the experience so easy and pleasurable for us. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Uh, and it was a pleasure taking care of you and your family. And uh, yeah, we were lucky. We were. Yeah, we were. Uh, so it's for you, it's just another day in the office. For us, it's like the day is finally here. What interested me so much, and it was actually something I took as a life lesson, is that irrespective of, of how much you plan for and, you know, we were doing tests every other day. And but the, when the day came and, and you know, the, the, the operation happened, as from, from my perspective, for you, it might have been nothing. But from my perspective, there, w w something went not according to plan. And all I could do at the time was look at you. One of the babies weren't breathing. My hand started tingling. I was fighting off a panic attack. All I could do was look at you. What I will never forget, doctor, is how calm you were at a time of what I thought was to be uncertainty. Steady hand, nothing will rattle you until eventually he did start breathing. It was two or three minutes, but those two or three minutes felt like two or three years for me. So I, I, I learned that even under the most difficult circumstances for one of the hardest jobs in the world, you can keep a cool head if you don't panic. So thank you. That's true. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I wanted to get that story out before we start anything because you might have forgotten about it because you probably delivered 100 babies since, but I will never forget about that. You made me relive the moment. I, I, I tend to remember all the deliveries I had, especially the ones that are um, memorable. Uh, some, sometimes um, uh, you, you think... You know, the doctor is not nervous. The doctor is thinking about 10, 15 things and thinking about five steps ahead in each case. Um, but with time, you tend to get more comfortable with being nervous. And you know that uh, you have to keep following the steps. You can't stop. You have to keep following the steps, Ashan. If you don't, you something can go wrong. So, yeah. 
And so, yeah, uh, I have chills now from <laughs> from the memory. Well, I will, uh, I will, I will, I will close this segment of uh, of at least a story that I wanted to share with you in saying that when uh, when we asked you how are things going, you know, some people can use too much humor in times when it's just, and you can use none in times when you need. But you use the perfect amount when my wife asked you, how is it going, doctor? We were we were airborne at this time. We were halfway through. The babies were about to come out. And you said, well, I'm following the manual. So, so far, things are looking good. I managed to get some sensation back in my hands because that is the exact amount of humor that I needed in my life at that point. And she giggled, by the way. So again, just thank you. Thank you for uh, knowing exactly how much to give of what at, at, at any given time, doctor. How far along in, in your career, uh, you know, studying career, um, or when you entered the field of medicine, did you know that delivering babies or OBGYN is something that you wanted to call your career one day? Um, uh, I, I graduated uh, medical school. Um, top 10 in my class and I was looking for a job and uh, I was specifically looking to be uh, um, an academic more than just being just a, an MD I wanted to be an academic and work for a university and then you know pursue my career as an academic so um, imagine I was looking into plastic surgery and that was not available uh, I asked for um, ophthalmology. I don't know why I asked for ophthalmology, honestly. And that was not available, thank God. And uh, the, the guy said, uh, what do you think of uh, being an OBGYN? On the phone, what do you think of being an OBGYN? I said, I don't know. I, I like the subject. Um, I did good in OBGYN in school. And... Uh, I can see myself doing OBGYN. Um, and my wife was there. She's like, really? You want to do OBGYN? I said, yeah, I think so. I like it. And in 1999, I got hired. Uh, two years later, I go to Canada, come back, and I'm an OBGYN. <laughs> so, I don't think you know that story. Do you know that story? Yeah, even my kids don't know that story. <laughs> yeah, we have... Uh... The doctor's uh, middle child, I think, it was the second yeah. son you mentioned. Omar. So you, you you finished med school over there. Did you end up ever practicing uh, over there? Yeah, um, I did uh, five years of residency, uh, and that's how you get to be an OBGYN. And then I did a fellowship uh, and uh, a master's degree. So the fellowship was in urogynecology when you deal with... Um, uh, surgeries uh, of the pelvic floor, trying to fix um, um, some complications of um, after giving birth, complications with of age, and uh, it. Then I did uh, a master's degree. During the master's degree, I had time, and um, the university asked me to, over there, asked me to work in the urogynecology department on staff, while I was. Uh, doing my master's. So I did work for a few years until I finished my master's. And um, and the master's was, was in um, medical education. Um, finished my master's and uh, I got back. Mm -hmm. 
And now it's been 23 years you're uh, involved in this field of, in Saudi? 99, yeah, to 2023. 24. 24. MashaAllah. Does it, has it felt like 24 years? No. It goes by quick, huh? It went by so fast. Yeah. It's amazing how time goes by it's crazy. when you're having fun. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's really, you know, you're doing the right thing when, when work doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like work until you're exhausted and you beat and you just can't get another call. Mm. So, yeah, it's uh, it doesn't feel like work most days. One thing I picked up on you on our third or fourth visit with you, which I liked, which I feel people don't do it enough in any field, is not overscheduling your day. <laughs> yeah, people complain about that. Like, why don't you work on weekends? Because I don't want to work on weekends. Why don't you work at night? Because I don't want to work at night. Um, I'm only there, yeah, between 1 and 3, on 1 and 3.30. Two, three hours a day? Yeah. I think that's very rare. I know, but at a certain point in your life, you tend to choose quality over quantity. So two, three years ago, I decided, you know what? Um, I want to be able to go to work and be happy to see patients and... Um, because I'm busy in the morning and sometimes at night, um, I feel that this is the perfect uh, quantity for me at this point in my life. Like an equilibrium. Yeah. If people can find out how much work they need to do per day to be the best version of themselves, it's way better than cramming as many hours as you can in one day until you reach the point of exhaustion. What good are you when you're exhausted? That's how errors can potentially happen. That's true. But if you look at uh, being so proficient at doing something, you know that 10,000 hour yeah, rule. Yeah. So uh, you need to put in the hours to be able to, to say that you're good at something. If you don't put in the hours, if you say, well, at the beginning of your career, you're like, I'm not going to work so hard. You're not going to get anywhere. So how do you, did you put in more hours in the beginning and oh, yeah. and now you, you earned it. You ask, earned your stripes. Ask this guy. <laughs> <laughs> you probably didn't see your father in the in the first decade or so. Up until 2010, 2012, your father was probably always in the clinic. <laughs> His office had a bed in it. My God, doctor. Yeah, yeah. So you have to you have to put in the, the time mm-hmm. and the effort and the um, the energy um, to get something good, and then at that point you can say, you know what, I can I can get by working two three hours a day, five days a week. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what I think works for me now. Yeah. So good to recognize that. Yeah, you have to. Otherwise, yeah. you burn yourself out. Do you have a, like a, an age or X amount of years that, that you have in the back of your mind as to how much longer you want to be doing this for? Or did you not land on that? Yeah, I always say a number and people say, no, you're crazy. I say 55 and you're like, they're like, that's so many. No, not so many years away. It's not far away from, from now. But that's what I thought I should be working. And after 55 or around that age, I shouldn't be working so hard. Just because, you know, it's physically demanding, this job. And you want to be at your, you know, best, your A game. You have to bring your A game every time you go. Uh, So I think 55, 60 max. Inshallah, I don't know. And be able to do this, Yani properly um, for as long as I can 
without having to having to work. Would you say it's more physically or mentally demanding? Both. Both. Uh, the physical is is enormous. Be if you have to stand or to operate for many hours, uh, you get the chronic neck pain. You get the chronic back pain. Um, uh, you know, you uh, it physically demanding and then the mental is the worst that's that's the 24 hour you 24 7 uh, mentally challenging um i'm talking to you now and i'm thinking about a patient that's in the oper- not the operating room sorry in the emergency room right now with with something in her related to the pregnancy but she's not from the pregnancy so i'm thinking about it and uh, i'm expecting a call so this is my life. I expect a call or I expect a patient to go into labor or expect to go to the hospital. So that's the, the easy part of the mental challenge. The, the other stressful situation is when you have someone who's sick and you have to plan and execute you know, at the plan and make sure that all the, the, the pieces are fitting, um, making sure that the, the labs are back on time, the, the different specialties that you need to to give input are being you know consulted it's and and preparing things for the patient at the hospital and preparing things and unfortunately i do all that myself most of the time because um i like things to be done a certain way and uh, i don't i feel if i don't do it myself it's uh uh, it's not going to be done but that's my you know my my fault it's a fault of mine that I have to deal with. You had to, on, when, when you said that sometimes you have to make a decision on, on, on the best course of action, you had to make a decision with us, with my wife, whereby the decision revolved around giving birth the next day. Yep. You didn't like how something looked on the charts and you said, and it was never part of the plan for a, a uh, I might be going to too much details here, but you know, it's it, this happened to me. So I'm, I like sharing real, real things on, on my podcast. You said that it's looking like we're going to have to go for a cesarean and I want to do it tomorrow. I, I, I'm not liking how something is looking, so we want to go in there tomorrow. How much stress does that bring to you in needing to make a decision on behalf of someone else based on a reading that you saw? Um, the, the, the medical aspect of it um, is that you have a certain set of guidelines and rules you have to follow. If, if, if you get this, do that. Um, most of the time, uh, it's black and white. Sometimes it's gray. And when it's gray, you have to err on the side of caution. For our situation, it wasn't gray. It was, it was black and white. I had to make a decision. It had she had to deliver um, as soon as possible because her life was in danger. Um, we sailed through it. A, a month later, the same situation. We have to deliver, and I took a patient from the office to the op- to the operating room, and we delivered. Same situation. But not twins. Same situation, one baby. She's supposed to be better outcome. She did worse. She ended up in the ICU. She, uh, for a few days, and alhamdulillah, 
She sailed through it. She came out and she's so grateful and so happy. So, you know that she, I know she had to deliver. The stress I have to go through is trying to convince her that she has to deliver. And my own mind is what if she says no? And how am I going to deal with that? And if something goes wrong, how can I deal with that? You know, you're just thinking a few steps ahead. And if she says yes, how can I start preparing her for delivery? And how I have to pull all the strings. I called different hospitals and uh, um, different... Um, I, I was begging for a bed in the, because there were no beds that day. So uh, that's stressful. And I was doing that myself on the phone, not at home. I was in a social function somewhere <laughs> and calling calling three, four different hospitals. And every hospital rejected me saying, no, we can't accept twins at this stage. And until, uh, alhamdulillah, I got uh, a green light from one of the hospitals and it worked out. I was externally to you. Uh, I was not stressed, but internally I was I was freaking out. I was do a good job not showing it. But it's it's her life on the line. Yeah. Yani, what what can I do? I guess that's where twenty four years of experience kicks in. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you have to pull favors and you know call for favors. Sometimes, you know, knowing people helps when you've been around so long. Knowing some people help. Uh, it helps that uh, you can get the, your your patient the best care. We forget that doctors are humans and they have lives and they sleep at three a.m. But sometimes. Are you a light sleeper? Yeah, very light sleeper. It's probably gotten lighter with time because your mind is working while you're sleeping. That's true. If you call me up, uh, I can't go back to bed. Especially if you say you have a patient in the hospital, like I'm up all night, just thinking about the five step ahead, uh, five moves ahead or five step ahead. And um, I'm always pre-planning and, uh, and pre-playing the the surgery or the delivery in my head, just trying to get to the best outcome I can ever have, you know. How do you structure your vacations if you need to be on call at any time? You can't just pick up and say, you know what, I'm going somewhere for the weekend and I'm coming back. This is something that we get to do, but with you. That's a luxury, yeah. You can't imagine. Um, summer vacations, you can book a year ahead. And when people come in and their due date is around that vacation time. You say, I'm sorry, I won't be around this time. And if you tend, if you're going to deliver during this period of time, either you can follow with me and I can refer you to someone or I can refer you to someone from now. And people are usually happy with that. Mm. I have people come back two or three years later and say, I wanted to follow with you, but I came and you said, you're going away. And this time I really want to be with you. So it's, there's no hard feelings. Uh, sometimes you're faced with um, a challenge when you have to go away for the weekend for um, a family thing or something that comes up and you have to go. Uh, sometimes that's difficult. And uh, if um, if you have to go, you have to go. And um, sometimes, yeah, some people will get upset. Doctor, a common misunderstanding that you see in your line of work, as broad as that question is, it's a common misunderstanding. Um, what comes to mind is that people think that doctors can control outcomes and uh, 
I like how one patient taught me something once and he was explaining, I was saying something to him and his, his wife. And um, as much as we plan, as you mentioned, as much as we plan, as much as we, uh, we, uh, we try to, to plan a delivery or plan surgery, we always are reacting um, to how things are progressing. So we, we put a plan and we try to follow it. <laughs> and uh, as I said, there are guidelines that we follow and uh, these guidelines are updated and we try to follow the latest guidelines. But we do tend to react to changes or situations that, that happen because out of the blue, something could go wrong anytime. So we react. So the misconception is that uh, we can control. Um, because during labor, this happened or the baby was not happy or whatever. So usually one of the biggest misconceptions is that we can control it and we can't. Um, you have to be in peace with that. Um, People who are in peace with that usually have a good experience. People who are really, you know, any um, strict in their views might have not a good experience huh? because the things did not work out the way they thought you should work out. It wasn't a, you're, you're a doctor, you're not anything more than that. And uh, the other misconception is... Um, that complications shouldn't happen. And uh, in medicine, unfortunately, complications do happen. And there's a number for every complication. Uh, the occurrence is 1 in 1,000, 1 in 100,000, 1 in a million, or 1 in 10. Um, some people think it's negligence. But honestly, from all these years of experience, I tell you, a lot of things could happen that no one could predict or no one could make sure they don't happen because um, complications do happen. Patients are quick to blame the doctor. Unfortunately, uh, this thing started back in the 2000s uh, when a big hoopla happened about uh, uh, doctors are negligent and doctors and start th that view started to grow. Alhamdulillah, now it's much better. Back in 2000. 10 when I first came back the first thing they will say is uh, to anything that happens doctor error yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now people are more educated and they look things up I tell them you have this and that and they look it up and they say oh okay um, I understand uh, can you explain to me how could have we avoided and you explain to them if, if it was avoidable and if not 99% they are okay. But uh, it's a misconception that complications should not happen. How often in a ratio format, how often do things go according to plan and how often are you surprised with something that was unforeseen? Um, now versus when I started my career. <laughs> Actually, yes, please. Yeah, first half and the last half. First half... Um, I was dealing with more and more uh, normal cases. 
second half, cases are starting to become more and more complicated. How come? Wallahi, I ask myself that question every time. Is it luck or are you, because you have become more known, people are coming to you, so you're getting a more random spectrum of the market? It could be that. It could be that. Um, I don't want to call uh, myself well-known. I would call myself a new. I've been around. So uh, people tend to gravitate to someone who's been around for longer and they want their experience with their complicated case so uh, we've been seeing very complicated cases in the last few years that the my my gray hairs as you see it's not as many as you think it's almost all gray now <laughs> so yeah it's it's getting more and more complicated so but it, it keeps you on your toes it keeps you humble i understand client confidentiality very well can you give us a gist of what a complicated case looks like? Is it like a quadruple, triplet? No, that's that's a, a, a normal complication to begin with. Hmm. Triplet pregnancy is a complicated pregnancy. And you've had a few for sure. Yeah. And you get to, um, you. we have in the clinic, we have a team. And the team consists of a high-risk specialist, um, an internal medicine specialist, um, we have a dietitian. We have uh, people who take care of these complicated cases. We take care of them together. And uh, alhamdulillah, we have great outcomes because it's not a one-man show. Um, uh, so complicated cases are like things that you are not foreseen, as you mentioned before, things that you can't predict. All of a sudden... Uh, patient's fine and then all of a sudden liver enzymes shoot up it's like why did it happen no one knows their body the body is um reacting to the pregnancy and that can happen in a, in a day overnight overnight that's not that's not so complicated but you see these weird and wonderful cases um i can't say because any anything that i will say could be attributed to a patient <laughs> so, so yeah it's very very complicated things are and even my our team and in, in the clinic is saying this is kind of weird why are we getting these cases um uh, so yeah we, we we're getting a lot of stuff that uh is uh, is causing us to stay up more than ever more than ever yeah, yeah. thank god you only work three hours a day <laughs> question that would be of interest to the female viewer okay what are ways you suggest for a woman who is pre who is trying to get pregnant who is having trouble doing so can you think of anything that they can do that will help their chances to get pregnant uh, we're gonna get more technical here or not? <laughs> in general. see if you can <laughs> like the main bullet points i i I, I, I love people to leave with with something that they can apply in their in their lives or or use as help. And I think that the females who are looking to get pregnant will be watching right now with intent. Babes, <laughs> um, before before this part, uh, when a female wants to become pregnant, uh, I usually ask them to come by the clinic and get a checkup. Uh, during that checkup, we um, we discuss we call it 
preconception counseling. So in preconception counseling, we talk to them about um, um, what tests they should do, what um, uh, supplements they should be on, what diet they should start, uh, how much they should uh, weight they should lose, and um, like the target BMI that they want to be. And uh, I, I, I ask them questions that make them think about, okay, the, when do you want to have the baby born? Do you want the baby born in the summer? Then you have to try around this time if you want the baby born in the winter. Um, you're just trying to give them pointers about things that they may not have think, thought about. Uh, we, the most important thing that science proved is a healthy diet mm. and uh, supplements and smoking cessation. What's that last one? Smoking cessation. In stop smoking. St any kind of any kind of smoking. Stop smoking. Uh, be on a healthy diet and um, exercise, and take supplements. If you do that, you're improving your chances of a healthy pregnancy, in general. But then, if they don't get pregnant within the three months that plan we put in, we say, okay, we're going to start now because everything we checked is perfect. You checked all the boxes, and let's go for it. Uh, she tries for a few months, nothing happens. She comes back. She says, well, I didn't have, you know, the outcome that I was looking for. Uh, we could start looking into reasons why she, she didn't get pregnant. So you go further into uh, checking the hormones, uh, doing um, uh, some, some lab, uh, sorry, some uh, um, imaging for her tubes and checking the husband's uh, semen making sure that uh, all the the right things are there and if everything is fine you say okay you need to be either on the fast track which is going to um, making the ovaries produce more eggs to improve the chances and that's the fast track with medications or you be on the normal track which is okay you make sure that you you have uh, intercourse during ovulation you have to know when your ovulation is and these are the ways to check your ovulation and if you're ovulating and you have intercourse on ovulation days then you are supposed to have a better chance of conceiving since we didn't find anything wrong with you and uh, usually if they want to go the fast track i refer them to the infertility specialist or fertility specialist to to take them hold their hand during that phase and get them to to where they want to be is, is ivf that's that's that route that's the the end point end point yeah ivf is the end point they they do have a few things they could do before ivf and ivf is pretty much a fail safe not really no huh even in ivf it could not work ivf uh success rates in conceiving and having a baby could range between 50 and 60 percent depending on the center wow yeah so it's not 100%. No, far from. Well, one of the misconceptions is, well, we have intercourse and we didn't get pregnant. And I tell them, you know how the, you're not 100% guaranteed pregnancy if you have intercourse on a single month. Yeah. So the chances could range between 15 20% each month so if you wait for six to eight months then you tried enough times to but you have to try on the, the time of ovulation yeah were you ever in a position where 
Can you recall a situation where you were extremely nervous while in the operating room? Like <laughs> thinking to yourself, what do we do now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I do get nervous in the operating room. I don't show it, though. You I don't. Have, I have to keep internalize my, my, my nervousness and anxiety because I'm dealing with a team. A team has to stay calm. If you get nervous, كل team gets nervous because you're in the delivery room or for the operating room. They feed off your um, strength. Had um, the nurses, if, you, if you're calm, they are calm and they manage to do their job. If you get, you know, loud and you start throwing things, they get nervous and they can't do their job, honestly. Those doctors exist out there? Yeah. In the delivery room? Absolutely. Absolutely. God. So your assistant could get nervous um, and, you know, and anesthet gets nervous because he, he wants to he wants to know what's going on. Uh, for, that's why in, in in one of the hospitals, I have my own anesthetist and my own assistant. My they come to the delivery room, or this the, the, um, the delivery room and to the um, operating room mm. to uh, to assist me. And uh, you're like playing with a close friend, They know your moves, yeah. so you. We reciprocate uh, and we get we feed off each other and we get the, the job done smoothly because every step they know they've seen me when I'm uh, in, a, in, a, in, in a very difficult situation and they've seen me in easy situations and they know how to assist me in the best way possible. So when did you ask me when or did you ask me, do you ever? Can you recall a circumstance? Oh, yeah. No, when but one specifically. كثير. It pushed your levels of calmness. Katir, <laughs> when you feel that your patient is uh, in danger, that's when I when I really go, you know, full alert, anxious mode. And before, is it like riding a bicycle? And you didn't want to ask that question. I, I did. I, I felt that like I'm kind of like asking the same question again. The question is: Is it like riding a bicycle, or is each case or patient completely different with regards to the challenges you face? Imagine. Um, Riding a bicycle. When when I feel, when I feel that it's it's second nature, I stop myself and I say, no. If if I start thinking that, then I might miss something. Mm-hmm. So no, I stop myself from. I have to put my whole attention in every single case, so I can pick up on small cues and try to you know, adjust and and fix and have have the better outcome. So every time my patient da- is in danger or the baby's in danger, I, I, I get nervous internally and anxious and and go into the hyper mode. Like you think ahead and you're you're trying to say, okay, if I do A, what's the outcome? If I do B, if I do C. Scenario planning. Exactly. And in, in surgery you're trying to mitigate the risks and you're trying to see, okay, do I ask for blood now or do I wait? Uh, does it seem like uh, how long do I, how long can I bleed until I have to get blood? How, how long, um, you know, you, you're starting to think and you, alhamdulillah, I've been, I've been alhamdulillah fortunate, but um, a curse, this, this pre-planning and, 
and thinking ahead is a bit of a curse because your brain goes into uh, hyper mode. That's what it does best. It does best, but still. Uh, in, in, in not a good way, like this, the overthinking. Way. Yeah, overthinking. You're, 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 you're hyper alert and you're, um, you're intensely focused in what you're doing and uh, you're trying to just have uh, improve the chances of uh, the patient. Um, yeah, and sometimes patients' life is in danger and you have to act quickly, otherwise we lose the patient. Timing, essence, times of essence. Yeah. You have to be uh, asking for things before. Yani ask for instruments quickly, ask for the stuff that you need quickly, you prepare your blood, you prepare your stuff. And um, uh, when you're surrounded by by group, uh, a great group of uh, friends and colleagues that you can call on to if you have, um, um, if you need help, yeah, that's great. Doctor, it's, it's you guys and pilots who I admire their work to adjust on the fly. With what you're saying, I would imagine pilots as well. You know, you need to make decisions sometimes instantly and instinctively because you have 400 people behind you. You know that um, a medical errors, uh, when they tar- started to look into how to prevent errors, they look into medical pi- and into pilots and their systems. So they started putting, um, okay, what what are the most common complications in obstetrics? Bleeding. Okay, let's put a checklist for bleeding. Um, they, so they put, uh, what do you do? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. Until you are done. Like all, all the different steps. So that's how um, medical errors are starting to decrease because you have, you have a plan and you have training yourself and your team are trained to try to uh, look into how to prevent these complications from happening. Yeah. So yeah, pilots are what we looked at to get better. Moving on. Um, how do you scientifically, and this is actually a question that I'm genuinely interested in, not that my wife experienced it this time as much. I mean, there, there was a little bit, but not to the extent that people do feel postpartum depression. How would you explain it scientifically uh, after women give birth, they feel that they have, they feel depression? Mm-hmm. How does science explain postpartum depression, if you can touch on that? Okay, so especially new moms, um, they have, uh, after giving birth in around day two, day three, uh, they, they have hormonal changes. They have hormonal changes. They have estrogen, progesterone, tenfold. It drops down. Wow. All of a sudden to normal levels. Um, that's a huge hormonal shift. But then new moms have this new responsibility and uh, uh, looking after a baby and say it's, it's a shock. So uh, that's one as- another aspect. Uh, so these changes, the the physical changes, the the the, the birth trauma, whatever it was, uh, if it was the, the the pain or the delay or the, the complicated birth or um, or having no family around or no caregivers to help her, uh, these are all factors that could affect uh, a woman and uh, after birth and uh, put them into in the beginning, they call it uh, postpartum blues. 
and these could start from day two or day three and could last for 10 days to two weeks when the when the mom is uh, crying for no reason she's she's tired she's she's feeling tired more tired than she should be and uh, she doesn't want to see people she doesn't want to really you know it's not enjoying the moment enjoying the baby so we call it postpartum blues and if it carries on beyond that uh, it's called postpartum depression and uh, it's more severe symptoms than just the blues and it carries on for a longer time and um, it could be just just crying staying in a room or by herself doesn't want to breastfeed or just want to look after the baby and um, and it's real depression it's almost a sensation of depression it is depression it is depression the feeling of worthlessness the feeling of uh, loss of joy and loss of hope and it's true depression. It's wow. not something that a normal person could have. It. It's not that someone is uh, is weak or the, or the weaker person could have it, and the stronger person doesn't. No, it's it's a it's a medical condition. Is it almost like the withdrawal of hormones? Because yeah. you had it, and now, yeah, the withdrawal of hormones, and uh, it's is one factor, and the, again. The, the social and the psychological stress that uh, the patients put through. Um, there are people who are more susceptible for it. As I said, new moms, people with depression to begin with, uh, people who develop depression before giving birth. Um, some people have uh, family history. Some people have, as I, again, as I said, people who have no support. Uh, these people are all susceptible to have postpartum depression. And some people have to, well, they all have to uh, have some form of um, counseling, and some of them need medications. Yeah. Another thing we take for granted, we think that everyone has support when they give birth. Oh. Oh. Some women are get divorced during pregnancies, and family is nowhere near them. Yeah. And it's already difficult for people who have all the support in the world. You know, I Still. can't even imagine what it's like for those who don't. Absolutely, absolutely. Ah. <sighs> Since working in Saudi, mm-hmm. how far has the medical field advanced? We're not not to make you feel old or older. <laughs> I'm gonna get hit. Older. <laughs> uh, in 23 odd years, how far have you seen the medical field advance in Saudi? It's, it's huge. Night and day. I yes, night and day. I left Saudi in 2001. Came back 2010. Uh, no, of course, it's it's a big shift. Um, we came, I came back, and I was practicing the same way I was practicing in Canada. Yeah. Back in in oh one. In oh in, well, well, I was in oh between oh one to to ten. I was in Canada, so I left. I came back, and I started practice. And I didn't feel I left Canada because I had all the the equipment and the support I needed. And it was a huge shift in the medical industry in in Saudi. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot about the country finding the people who are unable to uh, separate Siamese twins. And I remember for the longest time, 20, 30 years, I mean, I see this. It always makes the front page of the paper that... uh, the country has funded this family to fly into Saudi to separate Siamese twins. It's been something that Saudi has gotten regional recognition for. Any specific reason why 
because it's kind of close to your, your field because it's a birth thing. Any particular reason why with Siamese twins we kind of took, you know, the, the spotlight in, in, in that area? Um, uh, Dr. Rabia was uh, trained uh, as a, he's, a, he's a trained pediatric surgeon. Huh? And uh, he was trained to do these surgeries. Um, I'm guessing, Shuf, I don't know really, but I would imagine if I was trained to do a specific, very difficult procedure and I started to develop a team of uh, like-minded people, uh, this is a huge endeavor, Tara. You have, you t- you're talking about um, starting from the surgeon to the assistant to the pediatrician to the anesthetist to every, every single part of the puzzle he created or he put together in a hospital that provide him the the, uh, the the equipment and development, the support that he needs. Uh, yeah, we can be the best in any field in medicine, Saudi, better than any other country in the world. It's, yeah, comes down to resources. It's resources. Um, just thinking big. Yeah. Just think big, think big. Think that we could be the best in medicine in the world. We have everything we need and just sweet tweaking organization تعال هنا uh, these people تعالوا اشتغلوا مع بعض like we, we did in, in a smaller scale in, in the hospital in, in the clinic in a smaller scale we, we brought everyone we need for for taking care of a pregnant woman في الرياض مثلا في pediatric or fetal surgery sorry fetal surgery which is doing operations on the fetus inside the womb. centers, a few centers in the world. Sounds complicated. It's very complicated. And the resources you need and everything else. Uh, so they they go in and they, they do some surgery on the baby uh, inside the womb. So how does that happen? You get someone trained and you get he comes back and he, he does he brings together a team. And he asks for the resources and the resources are allocated and they do this great job. So we can replicate this in every single field. Say, what's the best um, procedure for cardiac, for example? And we we get everybody we need in the same place. So that's how it works. What areas of the field, you know it better than anyone I know, do you feel that we can perhaps improve on or excel further in in the field in our field in your field um everyone can get better right oh yeah <laughs> think big um honestly any what i just said uh i i hope before i retire you know saudi just becomes the go-to uh country مش أبغى أقول لك تعالى على جدة ولا الرياض ولا الدمام السعودية in general is the go-to place for medical care not just in the region in the world and like uh, you be proud of like you said I'm proud I got good care في بلدي and ما نقعد نقول oh حنروح ألمانيا نعمل عظام ولا حنروح أمريكا نسوي أورام Let's let's have everything here. We have the resources. We have the people. Why couldn't we be the best? And a strong Ministry of Health. Very strong. They flex their muscles in Corona. Oh yeah, we we were the. No one, one knew, by the way, that we had a Ministry of Health this strong. 
we look had, how they handled it. We had the a model. Uh, model. We were the yeah the model country in the world. People are saying, look at Saudi, what they did, and uh, uh, we're very proud. Yeah, we can we can be proud of all other aspects of medicine. Yeah, we just need any uh, shoya tweaking. Mm-hmm. It's crazy because everyone had to learn on the go with Corona. You're airborne. You yeah. got to make decisions quickly and efficiently. Efficiently, and and you you better hope that you make the right decisions. Oh, Closing Mecca and Medina, like a, a lot of people were furious about it. But excuse me, that that will be Mamba, the epicenter of of the Corona spread. Al Kaaba and the Tawaf is your shoulder to shoulder. Sometimes people are on top of you. That's true. Of course, you you shut it down. And people were obedient and they listened. And the ratio of populace to to deaths was, I think we were 98, 99th percentile. Yeah, mashallah. They did very well. And we never had experience in in, in this. When was the last major pandemic? Ebola wasn't it? SARS wasn't it? You'd have to go back to the Spanish flu of 1920, where 50 million people. This big. This big. I, I did my research on this. 50 million people died in the Spanish flu. And so, we, uh, I kept working throughout my work. You kept working throughout? Yeah, I was not affected. My patients really? got care. Even in lockdown, you were obviously we able were to. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Even, yeah, even uh, throughout. Of we, yeah. And uh, it was, it was something. The permits that were issued for those in the medical or food and beverage or to issue permits for those to move around who need to move around was also an amazing uh, an amazing feature by the Ministry of uh, Tijara, Commerce. Personal question. Personal question. We're getting personal now. <laughs> we're getting personal. <laughs> I have about seven or eight questions left for you, doctor. I know it's... Uh, well, has anyone called needing the... Do- so far, so good? Alhamdulillah. Wow, all right. Lucky. Mo show seems to be a lucky studio. Mm. Are you sure you're not just uh, <laughs> <laughs> blocking my my calls, screening He's my calls? Loving the show so much, no one's calling. No one's <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, Alvin. I'm kidding. You wouldn't do that. <clears throat> um, you're married, doctor. I would mm-hmm. imagine you are. I am. Has long hours in uh, in the clinic, especially the early days, has it ever like affected? Uh, Family time, etc. How do you reflect on that? It does, of course, it does. Um, you're you're away a lot, and uh, if you ask me about my first ten years in training, training was about nine ten years. Uh, it was a blur. Training was nineteen years. Nine nine. Well, if you count seven years of medical school, okay, my internship that's seven, plus five years of 16. residency. 21 and then two years of fellowship and you did a master on top that took a year or so so you've studied more than you've practiced yeah close now but you study a lot so i was married during my my residency and my uh, my fellowship obviously and afterwards so uh nine ten years of training um it was a blur it was mostly at the hospital you're, if you don't have a, a strong backbone at home that's uh, able to to deal with, with kids, with, with life, um, then you can't focus on your work and to to do what you do. So if you're constantly thinking about home and you can't focus at work, you can't really perform. So it's hard. Yeah, you, you, I missed 
my own birthdays. I missed um, uh, social functions. I missed Eid uh, with, my, with my family a few times. Um, uh, you know, you don't, when you get called and it's someone that you have followed for nine months, delivered once, twice, three times, four times, sometimes five times, you say, oh, well, uh, you go and you, you joke with them. And they joke with you like, oh, did we take you out of Salat al-Eid or take you out of Fatur al-Eid or Asha al-Eid? I was like, yeah, I have my whole family back home. I invited my whole family in my own place and uh, I'm here with you. Um, it breaks my heart a bit. Um, that that trumps the most important thing, family. Uh, you see it that way. Uh, yani, it's it's uh, it's my duty. Yeah. I, I gave you a word yeah. I'll, that I'll be f- there for you when you need me. So if I'm if not if I'm not around, if I'm, if I'm physically can't be if I can't come physically, then I can't. If um. Uh, if I gave you my word, I will come. If I didn't give you, you know, if we didn't promise you, so you're not my patient, I I could say, you know what, I'm sorry. I do get calls from non-patients saying, uh, can you come to deliver me my, 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 my I, I want you to deliver me and I'm at the hospital and it's like, I'm sorry, I, I'm with Mo now. I'm, I'm going in to, to make a show. <laughs> Lala, uh, I'm sorry, I, I'm I have a commitment and I can't. And um, yeah, but you do miss. I miss my own birthday this year. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It, it takes a special person to to, to work with such uh, morals, ethics, if you want to call it that. Uh, dedication. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if morals is, a, is, is what it has to do with, for me, you have to do just the right thing. Loss. Yeah. You be with them. It's, it's hard. It's very hard. Mm. It's hard to be called when you just went to sleep an hour ago, and uh, and you have surgery in the morning. It's really hard. It's tough on the body. It's tough on the on the on the brain. And being a light sleeper, you come back and you can't sleep until you start the day. Your your daily wish is is that sleep. <laughs> yeah, may may all deliveries be while the sun is up. Yeah. <laughs> And then you go to the office and people look at you like, Doctor, you look upset. Oh, I'm just tired. (laughs) Why you look so grumpy? Well, I'm not grumpy. Just tired. Just tired. Or I have two things going on at the same time. I have a clinic going on and I know that a patient is going to the hospital. So I'm really thinking about that. I'm thinking I'm doing my my pre-planning and my my sorting out and I'm, I'm trying to make sure that everything goes smoothly for her and um, I'm trying to not disappoint the patients in the clinic that came to see me and booked a while ago and you know I feel really bad if I have to cancel a clinic or or delay you uh, I feel really really bad yeah because you know how how much they need you no no you, they, you took the time you drove all the way maybe you, you called work and you didn't go to work that day or you called in a favor or you you uh, took the day off and then I end up not coming because I'm so arrogant and I, I don't want to make it because I'm tired no I'll come in I'll see you and um, 
maybe I'm, I'm beat, but I'll come see you. Uh, I hate canceling on patients. Uh, if I'm late, I call and I say, look, we am Muskina, my secretary. She's, she has to deal with this. The delivery is going longer than I expected. Um, please call the patients. Uh, let them know that I'm going to be an hour late. So we call an hour before and say, look, don't come in at one, come in at two. And I call her half an hour, an hour later. I'm sorry, I have to delay another hour. So she keeps calling. But at least the patients appreciate it. Yeah, it's communication. Uh, yeah, I'm calling you. I'm letting you know that we're running behind. Yeah. Um, it's not the fault of us because of ours because, you know, it's a delivery. I can't really control it. We're just reacting, remember? Yeah. We have to. So we just keep uh, making everybody aware. I think a lot of patients, and us as well, just seeing you, it's like the placebo effect. Seeing you just extinguishes any anxieties and uncertainties. Just seeing you. And yeah. then we go home or have. Sometimes people think I'm I'm a bit too too calm. <laughs> but trust me, in inside I'm not. My brain is just you know It's a superpower you have, Doctor. <laughs> it's a superpower. Um does he ever uh, have you ever seen him angry? Yeah, I can't imagine. There are a few people in my life I can count on one hand that I can't imagine them angry. I've never seen them angry, and you are on that one hand now. I, I if no, I, I do get angry, but I don't get angry in when I when I when I raise my voice and you know start doing saying stupid things. No, uh, you can see it from in my eyes. You can see it in my looks that I am I'm not happy, and uh, I don't have to be rude to show that I'm angry. No. Because I'm obsessed with things just going my way, the right way. And uh, if I'm in the operating room and I'm handed something that I don't ask for or I want something done my way, she just gets a look. And that's it. And she, <laughs> you know the look. He got, he got the look. So they get the look. They know they're angry, but... She's trying to do her job. Yeah. Uh, my secret, my nurses in the in the office know that they have to be sharp. You know, on point. They know. If I, I correct you once, I'm not going to correct you again. You come with a specific, You come with a certain level of standards. Yeah, that's what that was the reason why we 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 put together this clinic. It's just we wanted things done in a certain way. I I I want to give you a certain level of care. Now, if I can't provide it for you, I, I get upset. I, I blame myself. I blame that I didn't really, you know, I take it on my, you know, on myself to to give you a good experience as much as I can humanly possible. Great experience. A, a great experience. Much good. A great experience. I tried to give you a great experience. Yeah. Were you behind the decor? Yeah. Sensed it. It reflects. There were three of us that picked and... Uh, colors and the scheme and everything and uh yeah i was one of the people who picked the colors yeah very minimal yes that reflects on on my my personality so i have a question uh, and i like asking all my guests but i'm spe i'm especially excited to see how you tackle it and and it goes what have you been better at saying no to recently oh that's easy question besides patience no, I, I don't, I say, um, 
uh, I learned in the last three, four years and know not to take on more work than I can handle. So part of it is, you know, doing the clinic in a certain way. I operate, if I, if I can, I operate on one case a day. Hmm. I wouldn't take more, but sometimes I'm forced to take two and I can manage two. Um, the day that I do three, four, five, I'm really tired and I'm beat and I can't do anything the rest of the day. So, um, yeah, I, I do say no to taking on more than I can handle. Can you tell me what the industry standard is for doctors who practice what you do and how many cases they take on a day? Do you have an idea? Is it that five a day? No, no. Mafi, Mafi standards fill in practice, fee standards in training. Uh, no, uh, but no one tells you you can't operate on you know ten patients a day. your own physical or mental capabilities. The quantity, quality takes a hit. Yeah, but sometimes you have to. Sometimes you booked two cases and you get five emergency yeah. cases. So what do you do? To go to no, I'm tired. I'll call you. Uh, no, you, you just have to manage. You do it. Yeah. And uh, for, yeah, I say no to um, more work than I can handle. And I have been very comfortable now saying no. I say no a lot. How do you combat stress in a job that is clearly <laughs> very stressful i know you like your cars oh uh, yeah yeah i do like my cars um yeah but it's not cars is not a release for stress uh cars is uh something you enjoy going back and forth 10 times a day for <laughs> delivery at least no um dealing with stress um yeah, the last four or five years were very stressful. So I uh, started to read more. And uh, what do you read? Oh, I read everything. Fiction and nonfiction. Everything. Self-help. Kafka, le, le, philosophy. Le. Away from your field. Not no, 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 away, totally away, away yeah. from my field. Disconnect. Yes. So you go into uh, things that you want to learn about. You want to read um certain uh, authors that you heard about uh, so uh, reading is very good i do a lot of audiobooks i do one a week wow yeah sometimes a couple a week and um, uh, you know you do 50 plus a, a year so you learn a lot <laughs> and that helps with, with the stress so sometimes if i can't quiet my mind at night before going to bed i i just put a book on and i start listening it just quiets you uh, to a certain extent and you can go to sleep. It does. Um, and you learn. So two birds, one stone. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm back at working out. I do work out uh, religiously these days. You took a break? I took a break. You, know, you know how it is. <laughs> so I, you work out for six months, a year, two years, and then you, Take a few you, months. you have to stop yeah. because, you know, you just can't do it. Uh, for, for now, I'm back and... Uh, that is really helping with the stress. Does that affect like when you're, you know, back in the uh, operation room, having had a nice week of a workout under your belt? Do you do you really feel it, the energy? Yeah, you show up, Aslan, after when you work out every day, you show up at work re feeling refreshed. 
um, sometimes you get called in after a workout. You're pumped. Yeah. You go in and you're like, yes, I can do this. Tough to have your day ruined. Um, uh, or did I speak too soon? Yeah, yeah. It's it's sometimes sometimes it's tough. Any Eliom, I couldn't go work out because I had a long day. My day started at 7 a.m. Wow. And I and I was go 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 until five ish. So I was like, I couldn't do this. I can't go, come back, and I I had no energy to to give. And so, then go to Mo. Uh. No, this is not the hard part. No, it's just my trainer is uh, is, a, is very strict. So yeah, so um, I, I, I it would be nice if I went, but sometimes you just can't do it. But if you're consistent, you can afford to take a day or two off in a week. Yeah, I like do I do like six days a week. Yeah, it's incredible. On doctor. Friday, when 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 I don't work out, I swim. I think it's thirty minutes a day to get your heart jacked up if you can do something that can get your heart jacked up for 30 minutes a day, you're in good shape. Yeah. Plus, it. it uh, I was just telling my trainer the other day, I, I, I said to him, uh, you know how I used to, like last year, if, if I had the amount of work I have, when I had the amount of work I have usually, uh, my energy levels were so low at the end of the day, I couldn't, I couldn't manage. Now, I can keep going. Like I just I I didn't go by choice today, but if I had to go, I would go. Yeah. Yeah. When it's part of your routine, you're in a good place. Yeah. And you feel that you need to. Yeah, but that's my number one go-to stress buster. The the gym. The gym yeah. and the books really help. Yeah. The reading helps. It just takes you into a different. Uh, it does. Mindset and you, uh, and I keep reading about this. Uh, the more you read, the more you learn. Uh, that uh, going and reading fiction and reading. When you take your mind out of your own thoughts and you put them into uh, a character, you, you start starting to think what this character is thinking and what this character is going through, it relieves a lot of your stresses. Yeah, 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 yeah. The perspective, I think, it gives you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of audiobooks, and uh, someone once said, uh, "Listening to your books is like drinking your vegetables." But <laughs> I don't. Uh, that's fine. I think end of the day, the, the nutrition is still going it's into going, your. files, uh, Yes. And 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 I can I can take all the information by listening. Um, some people can't. Some people have to to have to read, and some people notes. have to take notes. Some people have to do both. Um, you all of us have a propensity or. A per, uh, a preference and uh, my preference is listening yeah like i do courses online and i prefer them if they're audio audio yeah yeah that's why i love uh, road trips i don't know if you've had the pleasure of driving to alala for example uh but six seven hours you know you're you're finishing a third of an audio book if not more looking <laughs> camel yeah i love i love um if i could i would most of my Actually, most of my summer vacations are, are road trips. Mm. So you drive to, uh, you, you fly to one point, you take a car and you go to another point and you fly back. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's what, that would be my perfect holiday. Since you started at 7 a.m., I don't want to keep you here for much longer. I have a few questions and, you know, maybe we sure, can sure. just pop, 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 bullet point through it. Uh, in short, 
do you think kids today are overschooled in school? Overschooled? Yeah. It was another way of asking my initial question, which I kind of put a line through it. But is there a subject out there that you feel should be mandatory? And at the same time, are children or kids, school children having too many subjects thrown at them? I really can't talk about that because honestly, I don't know what my kids are taking. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what they're taking, honestly. Um, but um, I always thought that uh, our any children should be exposed to different uh, career uh, models. Uh, career day. I'm sure they some schools do have it. But if it's something that's regulated, we have to have one of each مثلا, uh, field per week, per month, throughout the years. major in the career world. Yeah. Um, it will give kids a, a bit of an idea of what in, in, uh, what I would do. What, what do you do? I am a doctor, and I do this, and I this is how I spend my day, and uh, these these are the joys that I experience every day. And uh, it could be hard sometimes when I have to spend such and such hours, but uh, it's very rewarding. Shukran, Um That that opens up girls and boys' minds to to see themselves in different, you know. Uh, costumes and uh, yeah why not why can't I be an IT engineer why can't I be because I saw this guy once and uh, I liked how he looked and I looked it up and uh, it seems like a cool uh, وإذا ما أنت شاطر حتدخل تشتغل في البنك yeah. مثلا nothing nothing against bankers صراحة that's most of my friends are bankers that's 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 how it was <laughs> that's how it was yeah. this was back in the 90s I'm dating myself يعني بس uh, that was a long time ago so uh, if we had role models that would come and say you know what this is what I do and يعني يعطيك options الشيء الثاني ممكن نعمله كمان انه وي مانديت انه كل المدارس مثلا قبل ما يتخرجوا يسووا اختبار الميول اختبارات الميول is something now that or when my kids were going through high school we had to 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 look for and pay for to for them to do عشان يعرفوا وش يبغوا your leanings what are you leaning towards yeah اللي هو affinity tests are so that will tell you if you're better at finance or you're better at science or you're better at you know physics and stuff like that and you go into like architecture or engineering or whatever or uh, coding or out of yeah take hint these are according to your tests um these are things that could help you i'm sure that uh many of your listeners know more about this than i do but uh, um if i I'm dreaming big. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that some someday that this would be part of a normal, uh, any 
the 12 years of schooling, part of it is exposing ch- children to different career opportunities. So you can decide not to do it. It looks like you're better at finance than, than being a doctor. It's got to be the way, though. It's got to be the way. Be- because what I'm seeing is that at 22, 23, they enter the workforce and they're not at a level of being able to contribute because they've been overschooled. Going back to, to the word in the question, and it had the word overschooled in it, you have so many subjects thrown at you that when you enter the real world, you're a sitting duck. Coding was a great example. Coding, you can contribute to this right now, the age of 22, 23. What happens is you're, you're overschooled if you're a normal student, as in not doctor or engineer, um, if you're a business major or if whatever, um, you enter, you get a job, and what happens is you are not able to contribute until you have a few years of experience under your belt. So then there's a question mark on why can't you contribute with your 22, 23 years of schooling under your belt? Why, why is that not enough? Why is that not enough? So it also begs the question is, if you are not going to contribute at the end of your schooling, why are you going till 22, 23? What is it? Money to go to school, school to get a job, job to pay off the loan you took. Like it's a... Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's not... I, I know people who who didn't pay off their student loans until ma they they were well in their career. So هذا بي بيدفع كل اللي عليه ولسه he still wants to make money to retire. And هناك retirement is you make your own retirement fund and you pay into 401k, it four one k you pay into it. But then uh, it pays off when you when you retire. Alhamdulillah. I wouldn't be sitting here with Damak with Kalamak and achievements or Kida. Yeah. It was on the bed, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back then, Mark and Feet are opportunities. That's uh, sorry, just for the audio because it's translated on YouTube, but for the audio listeners in Saudi, uh, dating back to maybe 05, Malik Abdullah, 05, 06. Yeah. There was this, what's the betha in English? A sponsor, government uh, sponsorship? sponsorship? Scholarship. Scholarship, of course, sorry. Scholarship that sends uh, students. And at one point, it was any student who wants to go get an education abroad. Yeah. And the fruits of that investment of the early 2000s have you now. Today. You see today with yeah. the gentleman sitting in front of me. Yeah, yeah. And this was, the, the, the government bared the cost of that. Total cost. They paid for myself, my my kids to... to uh, I had an allowance for my wife, for my kids, and uh, they paid for the school. So, and I lived a comfortable life, um, and I'm very grateful. You know, that plan was put in place so by the year 2020 and onwards. You have Saudis who aren't just employees, who run their own medical facilities, who are who have patients say, you know what, that felt like UCLA medical. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's it's really surreal. Yani, Subhanallah, the vision uh, that uh, and the scholarship. I'm, I'm, I think it does. It's still it's still happening today with uh, certain students. There are scholarships. Yes, back when I was going through, if you didn't. If you were not on a, an academic uh, path, scholarships were very scarce. You okay. can't really find one. Uh, I was fortunate to to have be- better grades to, to allow me to go into an academic path and then get the scholarship. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
pays to uh, to pay attention in class and, <laughs> and be one of the smarter ones. <laughs> a human behavior that bothers you the most, doctor? Ignorance. Great. Next question. Is <laughs> <laughs> um, is any specific uh, type of ignorance is such a great answer? Uh, and I'm happy to leave it at that, unless you want to elaborate. La la. Yeah. Ignorance in general. I mean, if you if you know that you don't know, that's fine. If you don't know that you don't know, you're dangerous. Two more questions. Something that has changed your life so much recently that you wish you started earlier. Oh, yeah, it's just reading more. I wish I started when I was their age. You hear uh, that? <laughs> How old is Omar? 21. 21. MashaAllah, MashaAllah. Reading, huh? Reading, reading is amazing. Reading is amazing. And uh, we used to be, well, we are a reading nation, but we used to be even a bigger reading nation. Uh, I think we should go back more to reading and and a lot of um, a lot of stuff you get to you experience when you when you have read things you you can deal with yeah yeah i every day i i get across or hear something or do something and something that you read that you know reflects on what what you see in life so yeah i wish i read more i'm trying to catch up now Almost like you you hear from someone else's life and their mistakes and their what they did in scenario A, that when you are faced with that, you won't make the mistake because you have gained the wisdom from the book that you have read. It's funny. I uh, uh, some of my mentors I remember back in medical school. Uh, he would come into the operating room and say, "You know what I read today?" And he was saying, "I read poetry." What? I think I thought you guys read medical books all the time, and he was reading poetry. And I asked him, "Doctor, لش you need you need to read stuff like this outside of medicine to to broaden your your knowledge." And uh, I see his point. You have to you have to read because for the first, tell like when in high school, ila. Now it's been a long journey, and uh, most of the stuff you read is related to your your specialty and the conferences you go to, and you try to keep updated. But you you miss out on stuff like around you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not talking about popular culture or shazikin. I'm talking about you know, good reads, uh, good books, and um, you don't want to find yourself at the end of your career or your life and you haven't read you're just a walking medical dictionary which is useless broadens your horizons broadens your horizons and you're a better better companion you're better right متقف. متقف. cultured any favorite books oh Malcolm Gladwell Goldwell oh I read all his books there Outliers Outliers Excellent. is good yeah, yeah. Uh, it's more of essays. I think essays. He's he's a brilliant writer. Um, I'm finding reading uh, philosophy now is really nice. Philosophy. <laughs> there, I for some reason the people in my life always recommend me books, and when I get a chance, I you know I obviously download on on audio, 
Psychology of Money is one that I'm nearing the end of. Oh, that was a good book. Excellent. Obstacles is the way. Uh, I really enjoyed Simon Sinek's Start With Why. Shoe Dog, I want to get into next. The book, the Nike, the, the book about Nike, oh, Phil yeah. Knight. There's Sh- a few, Swoosh and... Uh... Yes. Shoe, where is this Shoe Dog work? Um, oh, God. No, you don't want me to show you my library. <laughs> I know, we're bordering on 300 books now. Uh, to close, doctor, um, uh, you thought I wasn't going to ask this question, but I am. Favorite failures or a failure or a perceived failure that perhaps opened the door for something better? Uh, favorite failure. <clears throat> I guess if I go back and say when I didn't go into plastic surgery and found myself into OBGYN. I think that was my my best accident because honestly, I can't see myself doing anything else. Plastic surgery was initially your plan. Yeah. Wow. Imagine. And now you can't see yourself doing anything no. else. No, 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 I can't. I can't. I, I think I'm in doing what I am meant to do. Mm. SubhanAllah. I think uh, I hope I'm I'm doing a good job, and I I'm gonna try to improve every time, uh, better and better. You're very humble. You're doing a great job. I'm, well, was I'm a patient, or my <laughs> wife was, but like truly, this this self uh, crit- critique and uh, and daily review is is uh, is also a bad thing, but it's a good thing that you. And I always tell people that I'm working with, like I. We always have to go over what we do every day. Make sure that if we did something right, why do we do it well? And if we did something not wrong, but if we didn't like something we did, how can we make it better? better. Uh, especially in surgery. Like I tell my assistant, this is this is a constant thing for me. And I leave the operating room. I, I keep thinking about how I did it and why did it look so good? Why did it... Uh, and uh, if I didn't like it, and I'm a very harsh critic of myself, I'm, I'm my worst enemy when it comes to self-critique. Uh, I, I, I keep thinking, how can I improve? And um, it's a blessing and uh, it's a curse. It's Are you hard on yourself? I'm very hard. Very hard on yourself. Extremely hard on myself. Are you also kind to yourself? I need to learn how to be kind to myself. Uh, I, I'm, I'm working on that. It's not an easy thing. It's, it's easier to, to be hard on yourself than to, to be kind to yourself. True. wonder why that is. But yeah, that's true. Uh, last one. Uh, movies that are medical related or shows like ER or whatever. Do you find yourself watching them or just like ugh, laughing? That'll never happen. <laughs> um, well, it's they're not OBGYN mainly. They're mo- mainly emergency room. Yeah, surgery. Uh, sometimes they, they get the, the, the occasional uh, pregnant woman. Um, they're fun to watch, fun to watch, but it could it could um, it could be stressful sometimes because they put you in the same situation that you were in last year, last mm. month, yesterday. So I, I watch, yeah, open, yeah, yeah. and uh, you you sent you see it could could be um, could be a trigger for you sometimes. Trigger, yeah. So I watch them. Mm-hmm. I enjoy the I enjoy them when they don't get too tedious, like. Grey's Anatomy is like a 20-something season. 
Like I can't do that. <laughs> too much. I like to watch TV, but give me something I can enjoy and learn from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Thank you so much for giving me what I feel was two hours of your time. No, no, I, it, time went by so fast. It, it did, it did. Uh, this was a really interesting and beneficial episode. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. And and I trust those, you know, females and, and males who watch this will, will leave with something of value. I hope so. And uh, thank you again, doctor, for the time you gave me. I totally appreciate it. And I, I appreciate the invitation. Thank you, doctor.